by me, I just wanna replay. You taking me over the way you looking over my shoulder. So baby, come ride with the soldier. Nah, nah, nah. I'ma take it down, down, down with me. Good afternoon, New Haven. You're listening to the Tom Ficklin Show on WNHH LP 103.5 FM. Good afternoon, everybody. And actually, regardless of where you're listening, whether it's afternoon, evening, morning, 24-7, 365, wherever on the planet, uh, by virtue of the New Haven Independent and WNHH and having kind of this uh, technology uh, uh, capability available to us, I guess I greet you wherever you might be, whether you're waking, sleeping, Stay, trying to stay awake, trying to trying to go to sleep, whatever the, the virtues or vices of your lifestyle are, we're here this in WNHH to really be a, a people's voice. And I'm really so pleased to kind of have Dr. James E. Jones. He'll be calling in shortly. And uh, but again, the, the, the opening is the opening is the fact that you can you can access this information 24 seven, 365 anywhere on the globe. And it's really a pleasure to kind of have have D- Jimmy on the phone Um Again, Dr. James E. Jones is going to be chatting with us, and there's an event tomorrow at the Yale Divinity School, and I'm going to try to get there myself and even even videotape some of it. Um, Dr. Jones has been teaching at Manhattanville College for for a number of years, and I, I, I'm going to refer to, to uh, Dr. Jones as Jimmy once once I put him on the line. But again, he has his um, his doctor from Hartford Seminary, masters from uh, masters from Yale Divinity School, bachelor's from. Uh, uh, in Virginia, Hampton, Hampton. And I, uh, think I had a chance to, I can't remember, remember the first time that I laid eyes on, on Dr. Jones. He wasn't a doctor then, but I'm going to call him Jimmy for purpose of the show. But it might've been around in the, in the, in the mid early seventies. I was talking with, uh, Joel Fishman earlier on my Monday show and Joel, I have a vivid memory and I hope we know how sometimes your, your memory can kind of Oh, raise, or you can remember things in a different way from what they might happen. But I have a recollection of kind of uh, meeting uh, uh, Jimmy at the, at the Black Coalition offices where Joel Fishman, who was my guest this past Monday, announced, uh, I think it was our first run for a congressional office. But whether that, that's true or not, certainly uh, uh, Dr. Jones, a pleasure to chat with him. And we're not going to go down memory lane. We might refer to it from a retrospective standpoint. But uh, tomorrow there's an event taking place that Jimmy's very much involved with, with a panel uh, with Bonita Grubbs and another um, uh, she's a divinity school graduate and a Yale black seminarian, um, uh, official, if you will. And we are going to actually refer to something that happened 20 years ago pertaining to Malik Jones, uh, Jimmy's son. And it's, it's very, so important to kind of understand that sometimes the, the past and the present and the future intersect. We hear this word intersectionality as a, as an academic theme, but, uh, things intersect and whether they happened in the past or, or happening as we really speak this very moment. And in all likelihood, and perhaps somewhat despondently, these the same events might happen might happen in the future. But can we uh, negate? Can we decrease? Can we, if not eliminate, uh, uh, confine and, and hopefully destroy uh, what we what we might call uh, the, the the friction between uh, police and the community? So, uh, Doctor Doctor Jones, how you doing? Uh, how you doing? Uh- Good to see you, man. Uh, and, no, I, I use C, but I can see you in my mind, and I'll see you tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> thanks so much for calling in, and I, I think I might have mentioned to some folks earlier that you were teaching a class this morning, and you had a presentation last night, and quite frankly, you've been a world traveler for uh, for quite some time, so, you, so you're so you used to this, this, this routine of kind of staying awoke and staying alive. 
That's true. I've been I've been blessed. That's all. Indeed. You know, uh, to be able to do a lot of things that I couldn't conceive of doing when I was a young man. Mm-hmm. And, and we still hope to be eternally young in spirit as well. We're going to deal, deal with the past a little bit, but also tomorrow, as I, as I kind of mentioned, uh, is really a, it helps people to focus on some of the issues that some of the the Black Lives Movement folks have been dealing with in, in terms of your your trajectory and journey through life. You've been involved with this with this pilgrimage uh, around the globe in terms of how do we promote peace and prosperity but but share with our readers a little bit our, our readers listeners viewers a little bit about about um about tomorrow at the divinity school what's taking place well tomorrow at the divinity school is one of a series of talks that i'm giving on the topic black lives matter because all lives matter mm-hmm. and this was actually conceived uh, last year when I was asked to write uh, a newspaper, um, sorry, a uh, national magazine article about it. Uh, and I, I, I brought the title up because I could, I knew that it, it was coming up to the 20th anniversary of the killing of my son, Malik Jones, mm-hmm. on April 14th, 1997. And uh, for me, the narrative, the way the narrative was going in the public square wasn't quite getting it for me. And so I felt like I could bring uh, my humanity, uh, my uh, background as a Muslim, uh, my background as an African American, my background as somewhat of a community activist, my background as an academic to bear on this issue because I teach about uh, African American history, I teach about race and prejudice, uh, been doing it both uh, here at Manhattanville College where I am and also at places around the country and indeed around the world. And I thought that I could be a voice to try to help uh, help shape the narrative because there's been a lot of uh, anger and uh, and division mm-hmm. that's come about because of incidents uh, like what happened to my son 20 years ago. And so that's that's how it was conceived. Uh, the Yale Divinity School has graciously uh, uh, decided to host this uh, along with uh, the Yale University Chapman's office. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm, as you mentioned, I'm an alum of the Yale Divinity School, and uh, also it's being co-sponsored by an organization that was put together uh, to honor Malik, and it's, uh, that organization is called Malik Human Services Institute, Perfect. Uh, which is aimed at you know just countering some of the negativity that we see going on in society in general, and very small ways. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's not a, a very large effort, but we're hoping that from our from our faith tradition that it will be beneficial to uh, to to my son. In our faith tradition, the Muslims believe that uh, one of the things that, that's beneficial to people even after they've passed away is good deeds that are done in their name. Indeed. And so Malik Human Services uh, Institute is uh, an effort to do that. And Jimmy, uh, it's the event tomorrow. What What time does it begin? Uh, the event is at 5.30. It's on Holy Hill. We used to call it Holy Hill, mm-hmm. uh, up at Yale Divinity School, 409 uh, Prospect Street. And uh, there's free parking. Uh, there's no admission. And I I think it's going to be an inter- interesting conversation. Absolutely. It'll be myself, uh, Reverend Benita Grubbs, who's a community activist uh, around issues of housing and getting people families uh, restabilized. And uh, the current president of the Yale Black Seminarians, uh, I was a member of the Black Seminarians mm-hmm. when I was at uh, Yale Divinity School back in the 80s, mm-hmm. the early 80s. And we were very active. One of the things we did is we, ex- we established 
the the Parks King's lecture series. Tremendous. Uh, back then, our notion was like everybody talked about Martin Luther King, but what about Rosa Parks? Mm-hmm. And so, well, we, yeah, we, we want to lift up King, but let's lift up Rosa Parks. That's but right. For Rosa Parks, there would be no Martin Luther King. But anyway, uh, tomorrow night, uh, myself, uh, Reverend Grubbs, and uh, the president of the uh, Yale Black Seminaries. Uh, seminarians, uh, Gabby Wilkes, uh, who is currently a student there at Manhattanville, I'm sorry, uh, at Yale Divinity indeed, School, indeed, we'll indeed. be talking about this. Yeah. Indeed, at 409 Prospect, and, and really the public is, is, is fervently invited. Uh, in terms of, I, I said I wasn't going to go down memory lane too much, but I got to put in the plug that I was uh, secretary of the, of the black seminarians back in like 73, 74, 75, so, you know, the, the, the struggle continues there, and it's, it's just, just good to see uh uh, this last uh, Parks King lecture, this two, 2017, Byron Stevenson was the speaker. So every year since you guys and ladies have started it, you really had phenomenal folks. You're listening to the Tom Ficklin Show. And, and, and Jimmy, is it okay for me to call you Jimmy? Yep, you know, absolutely. I, I, know, I know you've been called a few names in your life. But, but, I've been but, called quite a few <laughs> quite names a few in, in, in various yeah. languages as well, for that yeah. matter. Uh, but you're listening to the Tom Ficklin Show, and Dr. J- James Jones is here with us uh, uh, he's been at Manhattanville College for a number of years, but he's going to share some of his involvements in, in terms of his academic thing, his his social justice outlook, his his years of being on the on the, the global battlefield, and again in the context of uh, or can the police be public servants and lifting up, as you so eloquently mentioned, um, Malik Jones's name about even if someone in some some ways we see people pat we may not see them. Uh, but they still can be with us in our hearts, mind, and soul. So that's really so great. Uh, for some of you that just tune in, Dr. Jones is is writing and, and research and lecture. I mean, he's focused on comparative religions, Muslim American identity, development, and conflict resu- conflict resolution. And as Jimmy indicated, literally, he was not kind of uh, 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 elaborating or, or or expanding, or he wasn't kind of telling the mistruth when it comes to his his lectures and, and consultations. He's Bahrain, Bermuda, Bosnia, Egypt, Great Britain, India, Jer- Jerusalem, uh, Trinidad, Tobago, Qatar, and, and Saudi Arabia, and as well as the uh, United Arab Arab Emirates. Actually, I posted this morning, Jimmy. You gave a, uh, a presentation, a speech. It was on YouTube. I think it was like around two, 2012 in in India. In India, yeah. And that was and about re- a half million people at that conference. And that, that, that so India. just be, and we'll come back to the, but just share a little bit about that because it's the, I was so pleased to see it. And uh, just again, so pleased to kind of reconnect you on the, on the, uh, through, through the radio and I'll, I'll see you tomorrow, but share a little bit about that, that India situation. Cause people forget that there, the, 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 the Muslim faith is really worldwide in India, Indonesia, you know, perhaps out, out surpasses from a population standpoint, even what we consider to be the Middle East in terms of the Islamic population. Absolutely, there are millions of Muslims in India. Uh, people think of India as a Hindu nation, mm-hmm. but uh, the reality is that uh, uh, there are over a billion people uh, in uh, in India, and, and uh, so a millions of Muslims in India is, is just a drop in the bucket. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it was very. I mean, uh, the Indian people to me were the most hospitable people, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I spent. Uh, uh, a good deal of time there talking to the people and meeting with the people and shaking people's hands. I was uh, quite amazed that it was a religious conference uh, that was open to the public and they treated religious leaders, uh, speakers, a little bit like rock stars. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've never been uh, 
people were asking for autographs, that, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But, the, but, the, but the thing about it is that people need to understand is that this world has grown very, very, very small. Mm. And that, uh, that uh, the time for us to sort of stick our heads in the sand and say it doesn't matter on the other side of the world should, should be far gone. And as we know, India is one of the most populous uh, countries on the face of the earth, mm-hmm. has its issues with poverty, has its issues with other things, and that we should be, uh, as human beings, as Americans, as people of faith, we should be trying to connect with other people. And so I saw it as an opportunity to connect with people. And of course, I have in my network, I have people from India who are like family, Muslims from India mm. who are like family, who, who literally have stayed with me in my house for several months. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it was sort of a, a, an opportunity to, to be in that part of the world where they, where they came from. And, and what was so impressive, I appreciate your sharing that context here, you were talk, talking about religious literacy and the, the connection between Christianity. I mean, this is Holy Week and, some, and Passover today, uh, tonight, or you know, extends for a particular point of time. But you're talking about Christ, the relationship between Christianity and Islam. I really found that to be fascinating in the context of, of just religious literacy in general. Yeah, I, I think uh, just one more thing to say mm-hmm. about India. There's 17.2 million uh, Muslims uh, thereabouts in India, but that's a drop in a bucket. Mm-hmm. There's over a billion people, but that's a lot of that's people. That's a lot, right? indeed, and uh, and it has an impact on the society. Um, uh, religious literacy in this country is a major problem. Most of us in this country and uh, out of Boston, uh, uh, who's written a, uh, an author's written about this, uh, is uh, Prothero, uh Stephen. Prothero. Prothero, mm-hmm. uh, and he's written a lot about this. He wrote a book called Religious Literacy, and what it shows is that most of us don't know about our own or other religions. Mm. And uh, the reality, and this is something I teach in my classes, I'm teaching a course called Race, Religion, and Culture this semester, uh, and one of the things I teach in that class is that uh, Jews, Muslims, and Christians are cousins. Mm. Uh, why are they cousins? Uh, they are geographical cousins because uh, all of them, their, their, their founding narratives come from what we call the Middle East. I mean, mm-hmm. contrary to popular opinion, Christianity is not, was not founded in Europe or in, <laughs> at the Vatican. Mm-hmm. It, it just wasn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, that uh, Jesus was uh, Palestinian. I mean, some people don't like that term, mm-hmm. but he was, and uh, he was uh, ethnically Jewish. And out of out of his work as a moral exemplar, mm. his work as a moral exemplar, we have Christianity today. And of course, uh, we have uh, uh, Prophet Muhammad coming out of the same part of the world, and Moses coming out of the same part of the world. But the, they're all tied together by Prophet Abraham. Yes, right? they, yes. And so, mm-hmm. if you look at them, they come from the same part of the world linguistically. Uh, they share similar languages in that the Semitic languages of, of Arabic for the Muslims, which is a, a liturgical language for us, a worship language for us, uh, the Semitic language of Hebrew uh, for uh, the Christians, I'm sorry, for the Jews, mm-hmm. which is a liturgical language for them, is a worship language for them. And also for Jesus, mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, it's no uh, accident that pass that. That the, the 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 this Easter comes near Passover with mm-hmm. Jesus 
as best we can know, was a practicing Jew. Mm-hmm. The liturgical language is Hebrew, apparently spoke some Aramaic, Aramaic which is also a Semitic language, and some Greek. So, uh, so, so they're linguistic cousins, they're geographical cousins, and they're also uh, ethical cousins. Mm. If you look at the Ten mm. Commandments, that Muslims, Christians, and Jews would agree on the Ten Commandments, except... Uh, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days shall I labor and keep, uh, do all the work on the Sabbath. But the rest, okay, I'm the Lord thy God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, thou shalt have no other God before me. I mean, the, the Jews and the Muslims are very, very strong on this issue. Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not covet. And the, and the difference on the Sabbath is, first, the Muslims have no Sabbath. Uh, secondly, for the Christians, they make Sunday the Sabbath because mm-hmm. of Easter, right? Mm-hmm. But for the Jews, because that text that uh, I used to read in the High Street Baptist Church Sunday School, I was raised in Roanoke, Virginia, mm-hmm. I used to read that text. I thought the text meant Sunday because, you know, uh, everybody told me the Sabbath day was Sunday. Yes. But that text is a Jewish text mm. that it comes from. That is, Exodus and Deuteronomy are Jewish texts. And so when you read a text, you always have to take it on its own uh, on his, within his own context first, yes. and then interpret it. Mm-hmm. And so, Shabbat Shalom, which is what you hear in Jerusalem on a Friday, is what uh, what that 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 Sabbath means. That means from sundown uh, Friday until sundown uh, uh, Saturday. Just like the Muslims, by the way, who 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 count we count our days from sundown. To sundown uh, is the Gregorian calendar, and mm-hmm. that counts it from midnight. And so uh, we're very similar ethically, we're very spiritual. We claim to be monotheistic. I mean, there's so many similarities, but I think uh, you it's, it's your people who you're closest to that you fight the most because all of them are arguing. All these three <laughs> groups are arguing that they that we have the uh-huh. way to God. I yes. mean, and so, uh, and unfortunately, it leads to conflicts at some times. Fascinating. Thank, thanks, thanks so much for sharing that. You're listening to the Tom Ficklin Show, and, and Dr. James E. Jones is with us, and you, you can have a chance to kind of hear him, hear him in person along with uh, Reverend Benita Grubbs and the president of the Yale Black Seminarians tomorrow at the Yale Divinity School 409 Prospect. What, what time does it start again, Jimmy? It starts at 5.30 at, p.m. At 5.30 p.m., and there's there's a uh, sufficient parking. When you go to the Divinity School, you'll, you'll drive up 409 Prospect. You'll see the sign, Yale Divinity School. Then there's a driveway. You take that right on that driveway, and it takes you right up to the to the private parking lot, the, the public parking lot, but you know it's not, it's not restricted as some Yale parking lots are. And uh, it's really going to be great. And you did it. You did this, a similar uh, presentation in terms of Black Lives Matter, and, and again, an and, and homage and, and and lifting up the, the spirit and tradition of, of Malik Jones. Was your you had something at Manhattanville College? Was it last night? Well, actually, it's tonight. Oh, it's, it's tonight. tonight. Okay, it's tonight. Yeah. All right. So you're doing it's a double header then. All right. Right, and okay. uh, we actually did it at a conference on March 25th. Okay. Because I, I stepped in a speaker that couldn't come. I, I did it at. Uh, at uh, a conference that we helped to organize for uh, Muslim uh, clergy and people who are Muslim and non-Muslim who give service to the Muslim community. And so, uh, God willing, we're going to do it tonight, and God willing, tomorrow, and perhaps one other time. Again, trying to um, 
counter to sort of what I call the balkanizing narratives mm-hmm. that often come out of these situations that people sort of get into their communities and shout across the boundaries at one another instead of hunkering down and trying to figure out what is it that we can do to counter this kind of thing that's going on in our streets right now. Sure. I mean, it's a serious problem. And unfortunately, as I look over the past 20 years, we haven't learned a heck of a lot about it because we constantly seem to be, in my mind, Mm -hmm. uh, with all due respect to the activists today, I mean, because I I, I respect the work that they're doing, but we we, we tend to go over the same ground over and over Mm -hmm. again when Mm -hmm. the issue is a much deeper issue as far as I'm concerned. Let, let, let's I mean, do, let's if, do, let's if I may... Yeah, let's, please, let, delve into that if you would for a little bit. We have time. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, th- 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 for me, there are two fundamental parts I can go into more tonight and tomorrow night. The one is Black Lives Matter. A lot of, quote, white people, so-called white people, there's no such thing as a white race, by the way. A lot of white people, they, 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 they recall at this. But what they don't know is that people like me who were raised in the segregated South... And I was nine years old when Emmett Till was brutally murdered at at the age of 14 mm-hmm. uh, before, quote, talking fresh to a white woman. I, I was terrorized by mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. Terrorized. Mm-hmm. If, if, if the, the definition of terror is to, uh, uh, is to uh, have a violent act that's aimed at intimidation or, or, or placing fear in people, they did it with me. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. and so... Uh, it's out of that milieu, and and there's a there's a report from the Equal Justice Initiative that says that between uh, 1877 and 1950, uh, over 4,000 black people were lynched. That's right. That's right. That's and right. Most of it, 4,000. Mm-hmm. Ter- and most of it was to send a message, just like the KKK when they burned cross. Sure. It's to send a message yep. to people. Took picture, so we're took, always took, talking pic- about terror. Yeah, took I mean, pictures of the, of the we're, we're mm-hmm. talking about black men who terrorized the black community. They even said this about my son. Uh, it was crazy. He never did such a thing. But terror, they talk about black men terrorizing the black community and, and Muslims terrorizing this country. But what about all the years of terror mm-hmm. that were visited on black people uh, all on up until the lynching was a prominent thing up until the 60s? Mm-hmm. And so people have to understand that when people say Black Lives Matter, we have a, I have to say, a rich history mm. of when black lives did not matter. Mm-hmm. No mm-hmm. question during slavery, no question during Jim Crow, as uh, uh, Attorney Alexander, mm-hmm. has, uh, Alexander. Uh, mm-hmm. has, has pointed out in, uh, in the new Jim Crow. Mm-hmm. No question, but the reality is that we're still alive, and we are very much aware that that attitude has not gone away totally. Okay? Mm-hmm. So that's one part of it. Mm-hmm. The other part of it is that uh, I'm reading a book called The War on the Week. The mm. War on the Week. That uh, around the turn of the century, there were a group of white people, people who call themselves white, who were, this is particularly after World War II, actually, who were concerned about making sure that we had a strong Nordic stock mm-hmm. of people in this mm-hmm. country. And therefore, therefore, went about the business of trying to figure out how to identify the people who were, quote, unfit, and to make sure that those people were sterilized. Yep. And, and this was a major movement in this country 
up until the Holocaust. Right. You, the, 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 up until the, the Holocaust. The, eugenic, the eugenics movement. Right. The eugenics movement mm-hmm, mm-hmm. was a major movement in this country, and, mm-hmm. and uh, some of the leaders were on the faculty at Yale University. That's for right. Instance. Right. Uh, and and so, so, so uh, my, my point to black people is that we have been terrorized, but we need to understand the total context of what was going on in the country at that time so we don't cut off you know, lines to allies. Mm-hmm. I've, I've mm-hmm. always been mm-hmm. about building bridges among, uh, between people. Uh, this is sort of what Martin Luther King was about because he, he always looked to humanity in a particular way. And, and he always saw all human beings as his brothers and sisters, and Muslims see this too. And so therefore, if that is your model, then therefore you just don't, you don't return to faith. When somebody marginalizes you because you're black or because you're Muslim, you don't marginalize them because they're non-Muslim or because they're so-called mm-hmm. whites, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. And so some of us do this thing. And this is extremely counterproductive because we see, we see the cycles going over and over again. Uh, my students and I here at Manhattanville, we talk about this all the time, about how we human beings, we make the same mistakes over and over again. Well, well, stay on that point, Jimmy. Are you suggesting that to be human, we're 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 not mistake free? We may be mistake prone, but I think are you also suggesting why are we, we why aren't we able to learn from our mistakes? I mean, there's a lot of of uh, literature about our repetitive behavior and our amnesia and our unconscious, uh, you know, implicit bias kind of thing and. So I'm I'm curious of what your what your philosophical position is about whether the human I hear you saying that the human species might have cha- uh, uh, challenging uh, uh, it might be challenging to evolve and progress beyond kind of a a, a minimum level of, uh, of 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 acquiring material and 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 ground and and, and killing others. I'm just curious yeah, what your what, if from a DNA or or biological standpoint whether you think the species yeah, but itself, all all of, all of that stuff is going on. Mm-hmm. But the, the, this is into the service of a very small group of people. And I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I mm-hmm. don't like conspiracy theories. Mm-hmm. But again, if you read The War in the Week, this is not a conspiracy. The, the names of the people who supported this, Oliver Wendell Holmes, yes. Louis Brandeis, William Howard Taft, uh, Teddy Roosevelt. So, These so are people right. that we revere in American history. I mean, they were supporting, I mean, over 60,000 people. Sixty thousand people were forcibly sterilized. Yes, so 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 the so the target, and they weren't all black people. So so the target, all black, indeed. So the targeted policy. I mean, you had people that were disabled, et cetera. So the target, the targeted public policy you're suggesting is is continued in some derivations today. Right, and 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 so mm -hmm. people shouldn't. Here's I was uh, Mm -hmm. I was speaking at a at an Islamic center on Sunday, and this came to me as I was talking about this issue, Uh, and this is something you you you'll like this when it goes back down down memory lane, uh, don't hate the player, hate the game. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? You've heard, mm-hmm, you remember that mm-hmm, one, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think Ice-T made it famous mm-hmm. in one of his, uh, his uh, albums. But what, what, what does it mean in this context? Don't return, we have a verse in the Quran that says, don't re- never let a person, you know, hatred towards you, cause you to swerve from justice, mm. right? Mm. Martin Luther King said, mm. hate begins, begets hate. The only thing that's capable of turning a enemy into a friend is love, mm. right? Mm. And so, mm. so the point about don't hate the uh, player, hate the game. In other words, don't hate the people who are caught up in the race game. Yes. Right? 
Yes. Hate yes. the game. Yes. Hate yes. the game. Yes. The game, race is a biological fiction. It's not real. There's only one race. There's only a human race. And that doesn't mean that I don't love black people, that we're not different from people from different cultures. That's a different issue. But biologically speaking, you know, there's no such thing as race. But this has been pretty much, I mean, eugenics is, I mean, is a good example of how it's been used to divide and conquer us while a certain group of people are trying to make sure that things are all right for them. And all of this, uh, Tom, is on the public record. Indeed. I mean, it's Indeed. not, you don't Indeed. have to dig it up. It's on the public record. Yeah, I'm, go- I'm going to post, we'll have the archive and the, and the SoundCloud uh, stream. I'll post the article that was in the Yale Alumni News about white, white men, God, and Yale that kind of, as, yep, as, yep, as yep. you mentioned, kind of uh, de- delineates yep. the, the, uh, the, 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 the preeminent thinkers uh, in, in terms of this movement came, came from Yale. Uh, there's an article yesterday in the New York Times also, I just want to pull it up now, that kind of illustrates and even expands upon your, your, your suggestions of the, uh, of the importance of the Klan and Supreme Court members being members of the, of the, of the, of the Ku Klux Klan um, and kind of how the, the, the white terrorist movement is not just new under the uh, current, current uh, poison that's emanating from D.C., but really has a historical antecedents, as you referenced, going back to the Civil War and continuing. Uh, the article is, is entitled, just one second, it's in, the, in yesterday's New York, New York Times. Yeah. Uh, technology, Tom, technology. Yeah. 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 We've people. come a long way. Well, but see, that I guess that's my suggestion that have, in what ways have we not, because we're still contending that although we have information available about this one world and how we can create peace and how we not, we have history where we can see where we don't want to repeat the past. I hear you also saying that we're still kind of stuck in that, that motif of, of not seeing the, the system uh, poison, but still seeing the system being embo- embodied in, the, in, in individuals. If, if, if I were to be absolutely honest you know, in public, which people are often are not, that since I was that nine-year-old kid in Roanoke, Virginia, terrorized by what those people did in Mississippi, I've come a long way. Mm. But, but, right? right. I, I never would have thought I'd move to the North, become a you know, tenured college professor, I'd come a long way. That doesn't mean that there's no racism anymore, mm-hmm. but that people have to understand that things are different than they were 50 years ago. The most eloquent spokesperson for this is Eugene Robinson in his book, Disintegration. Mm-hmm. Eloquent. I mean, when I talk about it, and I'm going to talk a little bit about it tonight, and God willing, tomorrow night, you know, I say four, uh, no, 40, 60, 25, four, black America doesn't live here anymore. Hmm. So who, 40, mm-hmm. 60, 25, 4, black America doesn't live. What, what does it mean? 40 years ago, this is 2010 when he published the book, 40 years ago, 60% of black Americans or African Americans lived at or near the poverty mm-hmm. level. Fast forward to 2010, that number drops to 25%. That means something, Tom, mm. about the makeup of the black community. It doesn't mean we've arrived. Mm-hmm. But it definitely means that we're different. You follow mm-hmm, me? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We're definitely different because our, our whole outlook, an anti-poverty program 40 or 50 years ago meant very something very different to us than it means right now. Do you, you yes. follow me? Mm-hmm. Like CPIs, people have been around a lot. You know, Indeed. It meant a lot to us when CPI came around. It doesn't mean the same thing in 2017. It just doesn't. All right? And so 40, 60, 25, 4, black America doesn't live anymore. And so very quickly, I know we only have a little bit of time. And so what, what Robinson argues very, very cogently and very uh, forcefully is that 
instead of being one black America, most of us uh, socioeconomically uh, pretty similar, we now have four. Mm-hmm. Very quickly. Mm-hmm. First, mm-hmm. the transcendence mm-hmm. that include the Oprahs, uh, the Colin Powells, uh, the Obamas, and, and he says that those people have so much power that even white folks have to genuflict when they come in the room. <laughs> we didn't have that many people mm-hmm. 50 mm-hmm. years ago. Mm-hmm. I, we didn't. If we had one, we would, we'd mm-hmm. they'd be in, in Jet Magazine mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. Front about it, you know, right? And the, the second group are the middle class, which is now the largest group. People like you and I, Tom. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, who mm-hmm. might have come. I know I came from a relatively poor family, mm-hmm. and we, we we still don't have as much wealth as black families, but we are better off than our parents were, right? Yes. Economically speaking. But and it's the largest group. Then the third group are the 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 people, the twenty five percent who didn't leave that sixty percent, and who seem it seems harder for them to get out. Now the fourth group is the most interesting. It has two parts. It's called the Emerging Group by Robinson. One part are people who've come into the country since the the racist immigration nothing else but racist immigration laws were changed in the wake of the civil rights movement in 1960s and 1965 or so. There are people flooding into the country from and I do say flooding into the country from sub-Saharan Africa and from the Caribbean who look like me but don't have the same socioeconomic economic uh, uh, social uh, uh, political history that I do, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot more p- uh, people like that who look like me, and, and he calls them emergent, and that changes the, you know, the African-American yes. community. And the final group is more mixed-race people. As we know, the Supreme Court did not outlaw law, laws against interracial marriage until the 60s. Yes, the Lovings, right? indeed. And mm-hmm. the, the Lovings, right? Mm-hmm. And so, but since then, Right, people begin get, getting married, and there are many mixed race people, and not just black, white, Korean, white, Filipino, uh, black. I mean, uh, many more mm-hmm. mixed race people, mm-hmm. and we know the one drop rule. Mm-hmm. That is to say, as uh, uh, William, uh, uh, as Jacobson said in this very excellent book, "The Whiteness of a Different Color," where he really, really chronicles the 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 the, the morphing of the concept of whiteness as we look at the immigration trends in America, that whiteness has changed since 1790 when we had our first immigration laws. uh, He says that race is a biological fiction. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons we know it's a biological fiction is that a black woman, a white woman can have a black baby, but a black woman cannot have a white baby. What mm-hmm, does that mean? Mm-hmm, the one mm-hmm, drop rule, mm-hmm, right? Because, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. if, if, if you're a black woman, your babies are always going to be black, mm-hmm. right? If you're a white woman, if you wear somebody, marry somebody black, yeah. your baby's going to be black. And, and that's why I love and, it. And, yeah. and, and, and it's yeah. a biological fiction. Mm-hmm, it, it is mm-hmm. about marginalizing, about power. And uh, I don't like the term white privilege so much because the reality is, is that there is a relatively small group of people who, most of whom who happen to be white, but not all, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, who want to, you know, want to keep those that small group of people in charge and marginalize the vast majority of the rest of us, and therefore they keep us fighting about race and gender, and we do, we have a jolly good time doing it. Indeed, indeed, running, running around in circles sometimes. You're listening to the Tom Ficklin Show, and I have the pleasure of chatting with Dr. James E. Jones, uh, otherwise known as Jimmy to me, and you can, you can hear more and, and see more of Jimmy and Reverend Benita Grubbs and the president of the Yale Black Seminarians tomorrow at 5.30 at the Divinity School here at Yale and 409 Prospect. Um, uh, Jimmy, the, the title of the uh, article that appeared literally yesterday 
in the New York Times. I just want to share it with people to kind of to kind of look it up. And it it goes into great detail about the what was called the conservative right, and but really the the, the terrorist right. And I thought I understood the American right. Trump proved me wrong. And the author, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. author is Rich. I saw that. Yes, Rich, Rich, Rich Perlstein, and I've sent that to, to so many people where they where he talks about the KKK dominance mm-hmm. uh, throughout our. And was, they were almost tantamount to a political party, and or were the political party if we really look at look at our history. So, uh, and perhaps are to some degree. I really appreciate what what you what you've been sharing. Uh, this this is this is key. This is key. You're involved. You've been involved locally. I mean, in addition to your travels worldwide. Uh, just before I go to your local involvements, but the. I want you to share a little bit about the Council on American Islamic Relations, because the CARE and your board member uh, in Iowa, as well as uh, uh, in in Connecticut, and, and not to mention a member of the American Academy of Religion. But the council, uh, I've, I've subscribed to their e alerts. People don't under. I, I'm very impressed with what the Council on American Islamic Relations has been attempting to do and doing successfully to some degree for for so long before we had all these. The, the, these episodes and and yeah. and, they, and before they, I shift there because I mm-hmm. know we're winding down, I want to give a shout out to my uh, ex-wife mm-hmm. and and Malik's siblings who took this issue to the streets you know, in a way that I didn't. I mean, mm-hmm. that's just not what I do. And I was doing it in different ways and took it all the way almost to the Supreme Court and and got some laws changed Indeed. as a result of it. And also to my current wife, Martina who was my wife at the time and really helped me get through some very, 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 very painful times at that time. I mean, family is the black family. And we always talk about how it's not strong, but it it, it certainly sustained me during those times. So anyway, about care. No, 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 Jimmy, just hit the pause, but I'm glad you mentioned that because in fact on you're here tomorrow, but on Saturday, there's also going to be a memorial event uh, at the scene of the tragedy on Saturday afternoon, I think around one or two, I'll post it on this mm-hmm. the, the link. But but yeah, so the, the struggle continues and people are still living, re, re, yep. renewing the spirit of folks. But but go ahead. So yep. so in terms of the council, the Council of American Islamic Relations has been around for a while. It's uh, it really uh, it's fighting Islamophobia. I mm-hmm, mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's this is just a very a different form of the same issue that mm-hmm. we've been talking about the yes. war in the week the war on black people. Now it's the war on Muslims. I mean, in, in many people's mind, these are all brown people. Mm-hmm. The immigrants are brown mm-hmm. people, right? The Muslims are brown people. Even the, when people talk about Muslims, they say, I saw a Muslim. It's usually somebody Asian. Mm-hmm. They, they say they're Arabic. They're talking about brown people. And, uh, and of course, black people, of course. And so a lot of this is all about that. I mean, what we call colorism in American society. And that uh, what we've seen is an uptick because of the recent uh, uh, presidential politics. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reality is, is that, as I said before, Islam is a religion that's very much uh, has very much in common with Judaism and Christianity. You wouldn't believe it when you listen to the Islamophobes and some people in political office talk about it. And so it's it's the same point. We, we uh, a major f- focus for us at uh, the Council of Islam- American Islamic Relations, from my perspective, is that we Muslims have to reclaim the moral high ground mm. worldwide. Mm. We've lost it. We've, we've been on the defensive for far too long because the, religion, the reality is, is, as I look over the sweep of world history, that Islam, and people can come to my Islam class and learn, has been a civilizing force. <laughs> mm-hmm. Has mm-hmm. been a civilizing force. David Levering Lewis, 
who wrote the uh, bio, uh, the, 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 the bio that everybody goes to first of W.B. Du Bois, wrote, also wrote a book called How Islam Saved Europe. Hmm. Another hmm. fat book. Hmm. And he argues as a non-Muslim that had it not been for the interaction between Islamic civilization and uh, the, the medieval Middle Ages, Dark Ages, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. there would not have been an age of enlightenment. Mm-hmm. And now people are, are, are putting us out there as being backwards and not being rational. But, uh, but here, here, here's a scholar of the Statue of Lewis who's not, he's not an apologist for Muslims. He was doing this, he, he found this out if you read his book, as he was doing some other research that, wow, had it not been for the Muslims, Europe would not be where it was intellectually Indeed. and economically today. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, share, you have an upcoming, you're a member of a number of national organizations, but you have an upcoming uh, national conference. It's in Baltimore, I believe. Uh, where? Is it in Baltimore? I believe you shared. Your in chair. Baltimore, oh yeah, the, the Islamic uh, uh, um, Circle of North America. These are my friends. Um, I, I usually go there and I usually speak there but I have some business in uh, Florida this weekend, so I, I won't be there. But a lot of my friends will be there. I mean, and and this is, a, by the way, if anybody's going down the Baltimore area, they are very welcoming to people. Indeed. And you're going to find a very vibrant community there. You're going to find people who are specifically talking uh, across uh, this boundary of what's, what's called interfaith. Mm-hmm. Uh, what people fail to recognize that, that uh, uh, a couple of things about Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, is that. His first hijra was not to what became Medina. It was what is now Ethiopia, As- uh, Abyssinia, uh, mm. right? It's mm. to an African country. That, that's the first point. And secondly, that for about 500 years, for about 500 years, half of, of Christendom lived under Muslim rule. Mm. Mm. I mean, but you don't hear mm. about this. Mm-hmm. And... Mm-hmm. And in lots of instances, people preferred Muslim rule over other rules. All we have to do is think about the Inquisition, think about 1492 when, when Columbus sailed the ocean blue, uh, 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 Queen Ferdinand, and uh, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. Queen Isabella mm-hmm. and the King Ferdinand, they expelled the Muslims uh, and the Jews together from the Iberian Peninsula. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, and as a matter of fact, if people look, take a good look at history, even though some people try to change history, uh, the people, uh, Jewish scholars call this is the golden age of the reflowering of Judaism uh, in this part of the world, and that and during this part of this time, Jews reclaimed their language, Hebrew, and many times were integrated intellectually and economically and politically into the fabric of life amongst the Muslims, and held very high, but but more importantly than that, many Jews traced their uh, intellectual rebirth uh, to Cordoba. Mm. On, on the, I mean, and so mm-hmm. I'm not trying to say that Muslims are the founder of all that's good, because we know that there are many bad things that come from people who call themselves Muslims. Mm-hmm. But this narrative that we are backwards and that we're not intellectually able, this belies history and the reality of where we are today as a people worldwide. Mm-hmm. Take, take, as guess as we wind down again, I wanna, I'm, I'm going from point to point, but Jimmy, we got to do this again. I'll see you tomorrow, but we got to have you on again. You're, okay. Thanks you're, a you're, lot. you're involved with, uh, uh, Chaplains and training chaplains. Share a little yes. bit about that, because people, 
forget about it, the returning citizens, people about to return as citizens. You should always be a citizen regardless of where you're the roof is over your head, but you're, you're involved with the population and kind of bringing some moral, moral uplift, just focus and direction yep. to folks. Uh, so share a little, little bit about that. My, my wife and I, Matina, are involved in a three-pronged effort. Uh, one is to establish a world-class uh, Islamic seminary in this country hmm. because we feel that we'll never be respected until our leaders are trained here in the United States and, uh, and, understand the ethos of the United States while connected to our Islamic roots. And mm-hmm. we're, uh, we say, praise be to God, we're almost there, actually. Okay. We're, we're, uh, you'll, be, you'll be hearing from us soon, God willing, about this. On the Northeast, the second, will be, you're going to uh, blossom? Nah, uh, well, I, I thought I would just try. <laughs> Midwest? Southeast? Somewhere on the North American continent. Right, somewhere okay. in North America. Okay. okay. Uh, the, the, the second thing is that to set standards, so we uh, we are part of something called the Muslim Endorsement Council of Connecticut, headed by uh, Chaplain Shazita Khan, which has set standards for people who are working in interfaith settings, hmm. and it's taken us several years to get there. And then the third is the Associates of Muslim uh, Chaplains, which as the organization that uh, my, the organization I had, the Islamic Seminary Foundation of America, mm-hmm. uh, Islamic Seminary Foundation, uh, we've been for the past seven years running in-service training and consultation conferences on the Yale campus uh, for people uh, all over the United States in order to do these things, to set standards, to try to build institutions, and to affirm our reality as being deeply rooted in Islam and deeply rooted in the American context. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even as, as we kind of wind down and gets to drill down where I don't want people to, to only think when you're globetrotting, you're, you're still not even concerned, but you do kind of touch down here in the New Haven, New Haven area. You've had over the years uh, several events at the, well, formerly St. Rayfield's, now the St. Rayfield's campus. Absolutely. Yeah, well, we've had educational programs there, all sort of aimed at the same thing. But we've had uh, marriage workshops there, trying to strengthen uh, Muslim families. Uh, and uh, the Yale New Haven Hospital, Yale New Haven campus, has been very, very uh, open and supportive of us. Masjid al-Islam, where I pray, is around the corner from where I live. Uh, and so uh, they've been very, very supportive of this effort. Because what we're trying to do is say, hey, you can be a strong serious Muslim and be a strong, serious American at the same time. Absolutely no doubt about it. And, and throw, throw in, uh, Jimmy, in terms of uh, getting your, your bread, in, not, not necessarily in whatever the after, afterlife might be, but also here in the, the, this, this perception of the current life. One of the, you had a recent workshop that focused on employment, which really intrigued me. Yeah, we, yeah because we, uh, one of the uh, populations that my wife and I and several other people, friend Abdul Malik Negadu, uh, we work on uh, is people who are incarcerated or formerly incarcerated. Because uh, again, to Michelle Alexander's work, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Jim, the new Jim Crow mass mm-hmm. incarceration, uh, and I feel honestly, I feel a special kinship with this group of people. But for the grace of God, I'd be locked up. Yes, indeed. I, I won't even tell you why, mm-hmm. but but mm-hmm. for the grace of God, I'd be locked up. Mm-hmm. And so these are my people. And so, therefore, uh, I've been uh, a prison uh, chaplain myself, volunteer uh, in the in the Connecticut uh, system since uh, 19, 